This is Everything Energy. Produced by the International Energy Agency. If you think at uh, what happened to the CO2 curve since post-war, we are basically always seeing increasing trends, except in a few instances uh, where we saw declines. For example, when? During the financial crisis. Uh, during other moments in which the economy didn't do so well. So if you were to put together all these contractions of CO2 emissions, all these declines in CO2 emissions that the globe has seen since the World War II up to now, well, that wouldn't be enough to see and to match what we're going to see this year. Hello and welcome to the IEA's new podcast series, Everything Energy. I'm Tanya Dihan. And I'm Jad Mawad. And today we're being joined by Laura Kotze. Laura is the IEA's Chief Energy Modeler. And she's here to talk to us about the unprecedented shock that the global energy system is experiencing in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. So if you look up on Google, you'll find that there has been an unprecedented use of the word unprecedented since March 1st. And truly, the global crisis that has hit the world since the beginning of the year, the discovery of a new virus in China, which has rapidly spread to Europe, the United States, and other, other places on the planet, is unprecedented in its scale, in its speed, and the sheer number of people who have been affected by it. Of course, the pandemic is first and foremost a health crisis, but by imposing lockdown measures and widely restricting travel and mobility, governments have also halted much of their own economic activities. Uh, hi, Laura, and welcome to the show. Hi, John. Hi, Tanya. Thank you very much for being our first guest on our new podcast. My great pleasure. Laura, the first question we wanted to ask you is really about this pandemic and its historical context, looking back over similar world events. We now know that the COVID-19 pandemic represents the biggest shock to the global energy system in more than seven decades. So how is this different from previous shocks? So I think I'd like to start uh, uh, from what Judd said about the use of the word unprecedented. Uh, we find ourselves um, since a month, more or less, using this uh, more and more often. And uh, there is one uh, rather simple reason. If you look at what's happening to global energy markets since the beginning of, uh, uh, of the year, we had the first couple of months in which the shock really started uh, in China. And at that time, uh, when Wuhan and Hubei uh, were in lockdown, we were about 5% uh, of global energy use was really affected by um, the global pandemic and some sort of lockdown. But as the virus spread uh, to Europe, the uh, United States and India, what happened since mid-March through beginning of April is really unprecedented. We jumped from around 5% of energy use being in lockdown to over half of global energy use being in countries that see some form of lockdown. In terms of spread and speed, we have never seen anything like that. So in basically in the span of just three weeks, half of the global energy use were in some kind of form of restrictions. And those restrictions really um, trigger through the energy sector in three channels. The first is really electricity use. And basically all countries that have seen some form of lockdown, uh, we have analyzed, show a very similar pattern. We are basically living and experiencing electricity use that are the same as a very, very long Sunday. This means that you cut electricity use by something between 10 and 30%. Those are huge, huge numbers. At the same time, we are seeing transport energy use cut very dramatically. In this very moment, as we speak, 
global transport activity on road is only half of what we would be experiencing normally. And then the third the big channel in which this crisis is affecting the global energy use is through the economy. Uh, we are seeing very significant slumps in the economy. And so global energy use is being affected in an unprecedented way. So this is bigger than what we've seen after the financial crisis from a decade ago. This is bigger than the previous oil shocks uh, from the 70s. This is, how far back does, do you have to go to find something of this scale? You said the speed is unprecedented because it happened in such a small period of time, but just in terms of scale, uh, how far back does one have to go? So I'd uh, probably like to pause here for a second and uh, do two things. First, we look back at what has happened with real data over the past four months. And at end of April, we are measuring a contraction of global energy use of around 2.5%. This is huge in itself. But when we look forward, and this is an analysis that we have performed, on the assumption that countries will slowly uh, get out of, of, of lockdowns, so in a very, very gradual way, and the economy will recover also gradually. And so when we put together all these uh, data and assumptions for the rest of the year, we are expecting a contraction that we haven't seen for the past 70 years, seven zero. So if you look at what happened in the financial crisis, just to give a sense of the scale and the size of what we're talking about, this is seven times the size of what we have seen in the financial crisis. And to give probably another sense of the dimension of what we're talking about, this would be like in a year, taking away from energy markets, the third largest energy consumer, which is India. So it's huge. So one of the first manifestation we've seen perhaps that the public has seen is the slump in oil demand. And we've seen since the beginning of the year a very big kind of shock to, to, to the oil system. Uh, can you just walk us through Specifically, first on oil, what is going on there? There's a dual shock to the system uh, here, but I think on the demand side, I think it's a really interesting one to kind of go through. And then maybe more largely, does what's hap is what's happening to oil also happening to other fossil fuels? Or are the reasons behind the decline in coal and natural gas different than what you've seen in the oil markets? So what... Oil has been uh, experiencing uh, um, is uh, among the three channels that we've seen is really uh, the cut in transport energy use that uh, uh, has really cut cut oil consumption very strongly. Uh, if you look at two key indicators, one uh, is uh, uh, the road transport energy use, as I mentioned, globally today we are at 50% of uh, uh, normal uh, road transport use. Flights have been curbed very significantly, and if you put together just two those two elements of uh, of oil use, they make between fifty and sixty percent of, uh, of of oil demand. So uh, this uh, uh, the restraint in in our our mobility, being in urban areas, being in intercontinental flights, is really hit very severely. Uh, very severely oil, uh, oil demand, and we have seen really unprecedented things with, uh, with oil prices uh, becoming, becoming negative. However, uh, oil has really uh, gotten the attention in many newspapers, in news, uh, far less so the other fossil fuels. But our expectation and what we are seeing in terms of coal use, for example, is also going to be uh, a very, very dramatic, uh, very dramatic hit. Um, a contraction that we are expecting uh, is something that we need to go back basically to World War II to see this type of, 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 uh, of, of contraction. And uh, uh, we are expecting that basically in just one year, 
uh, we will swipe away uh, the demand and go back to levels of demand of 2009. So this is a huge, uh, huge shock to to the coal uh, to the coal energy markets as well. Uh, for coal, the story is different than than from oil because coal is being hit mostly on two other channels. The first uh, we have discussed earlier. We are at home. We are using more electricity for telework, etc. But overall, electricity demand is going down very significantly, and coal use is being hit because of electricity demand being down. This is one channel. The other channel is industrial activity. Industrial activity is down. Uh, many of our industrial energy uses globally are still based on coal. Think about steel in China, and the fact that we are uh, consuming less in this period is also hitting coal. Uh, very hard. Uh, similarly, I would say the three fossil fuels, oil, coal, and gas, will be experiencing this year uh, very, very dramatic cuts. So we're seeing these really dramatic cuts across fossil fuels, but contrary to these trends, we see that renewables are holding up well in the crisis, in fact, increasing. What's making them so resilient? So we, again, tracking what has happened over, uh, over the past uh, uh, four months, uh, we are seeing uh, not only electricity demand going down, but we are also seeing a very dramatic shift on supply. In 2019, for the first time, low carbon generation has overtaken coal as the largest source of electricity. This is new. Uh, for many, many years in which uh, we have been witnessing uh, electricity uh, production, coal has always been the king. As of last year, low carbon generation is the largest. Why? Uh, basically, the reason is uh, uh, renewables, mostly, and in particular, wind and solar. Last year, 2019, uh, generation from renewables went up, but at the same time, we have seen very significant additions of new capacity. So what we are seeing at the beginning of this year is really the operation of this installation that happened last year, not only, Policymakers around the world in electricity grids are giving very often priority dispatch for re to renewables for a very good reason, because renewables are the cheapest form of electricity in this very moment. So it's for us consumers to have the cheapest electricity possible. So we are really seeing, uh, despite this COVID crisis, as uh, we have had very large installation last year, and because of the preferential uh, transit uh, and inclusion and dispatch in the grids, renewables in electricity are proving some immunity. Uh, as I said earlier, however, we shouldn't uh, uh, underestimate the role of governments here and regulation to make sure that uh, renewables remain immune. So there is a very important regulation and government role in making sure that this immunity uh, is, uh, uh, is there throughout the year and in the years to come. Yeah, we'll definitely come back to the role of governments. But before we do that, uh, there are a couple of things here to unpack maybe on renewables, but particularly also on electricity. And I think you, you've made some points about electricity here, uh, that we're basically kind of living a week of Sundays and not just because we're teleworking or stuck at home, but really because the consumption patterns are swift shifting to, uh, to Sundays. You also used a very evocative image. Um, I think you did. And you called this What's going on right now is a postcard from the future. And I, I'd like you to explain what you mean by that. It's a very nice way to frame uh, what's going on and what we can learn from that. 
Yes, so what you have been uh, uh, seeing in in many, many countries uh, uh, for the past uh, four months is uh, is basically the following. Um, As our electricity demand was going down, the generation for renewables has gone up, which has meant that uh, the share of uh, renewables, and in particular variable renewables, has increased to levels that we would have expected to see in a few years' time, in some, some cases even uh, in a decade. So uh, that's why uh, we, have, we have heard uh, in, in, in many instances this, this, uh, this evocative picture postcard from, from the future, because the electricity grids have been called uh, to uh, manage a situation that we would have expected to see a few years down the road. Uh, we have to say that so far they've done so in an excellent way. So they have managed these higher shares of variable renewables, making sure that electricity that is so essential even in these days of crisis, and even more in these days of crisis, uh, making sure that we continue to work from home, that our kids are uh, homeschooled, uh, that hospitals uh, receive uh, uh, all the the energy they need, uh, all countries in the world managed with this higher share of variable renewables, which is actually uh, a very, very good news for the clean energy transition. Yeah, precisely on that. Um, in fact, this crisis is a security crisis in many ways. It is also an energy security crisis. And it seems from what you say that the energy security aspect is something that is being kind of handled. And I, I'm wondering what sort of lessons one can draw from what we're seeing, which is sort of this glimpse of what awaits us if indeed the energy system is going to go towards more electrification. Yes, yeah, so certainly there are there are many lessons that uh, that we are learning. Uh, transmission system operators uh, uh, had to uh, balance supply and demand in a, in a different way that we that we normally do, uh, making sure that uh, uh, basically the rest of the system is uh, uh, is following uh, what uh, solar and wind uh, do. So we have had, especially in Europe, uh, in the past three months, a rather windy. Uh, windy period, so we had to manage in the grid very high shares of wind, and the transmission system operator did so perfectly, always matching uh, supply and demand. So this flexibility, which is going to be the key word for electricity system in the in the future, has been put to test, and our system operators actually succeeded. So this is a big lesson for us going forward, making sure that we can integrate more and more variable renewables in the system to go towards uh, cleaner energy systems going uh, going forward. So I think that that uh, brings us to our last big question, uh, which is what is happening right now as a result of all of these changes to demand and consumption in terms of CO2 emissions? So it's uh, it's going to be with uh, no surprise that uh, uh, we will we will be seeing a very very significant contraction in uh, in CO2 emissions. Uh, this is uh, due to the fact that we will be using this year and we are using much less uh, oil, much less coal, much less natural gas. How much is this contraction going to be? Uh, it's going to be 2.6 gigatons. So for people that are not uh, in the CO2 business, this will not mean much. But if you think at uh, what happened to the CO2 curve since post-war, we are basically always seeing increasing trends, except in a few instances uh, where we saw declines. For example, when? During the financial crisis. Um, during other moments in which the economy didn't do so well. So if you were to put together all these contractions of CO2 emissions, all these declines in CO2 emissions that the globe has seen since the World War II up to now, well, that wouldn't be enough to see and to match what we're going to see this year. We would need to multiply that by two. So that's that's quite huge, it's large. 
Does it mean that it's something to celebrate? Certainly not. This is happening at the uh, human life cost, is, is happening at a very large cost to the economy. And if you look back at what happened to after previous crisis, uh, especially after the past financial crisis, what happened after that is CO2 emissions rebounded and rebounded very strongly. In some cases, we had the strongest increase ever in CO2 emissions just after a crisis. So here is key to uh, not to sit down and think, well, uh, COVID crisis has, uh, has sorted out our clean energy transition issue. Not at all. The role of governments, as we mentioned earlier, is going to be here stronger than ever. Uh, we may want to remember that for the energy sector, uh, the governments are either directly or indirectly responsible for 70% of investments. And now that we are thinking through stimulus packages, it's essential that governments think through uh, the green and cleaner and more resilient part of the energy sector to make sure that going forward, uh, we will not see a rebound in CO2 emissions, uh, despite seeing hopefully rebounds in energy use and in our economies. Because here the lesson of the past is uh, not particularly encouraging. Um, I think after the last, the, after the financial crisis 10 years ago, we had a sharp in decrease in CO2 emissions, followed by a very, very large increase the following year. And so that is, I suppose, still a risk as when we and as we recover from this crisis, that we would see something similar. So you mentioned policy responses, and this is something the IEA has been quite involved in. So um, what should be the policy response? So Jad, you're completely right. In fact, if you look at the, at the numbers, the rebound that we saw after the financial crisis is the largest increase we have ever seen in, uh, in CO2 emissions. Uh, what is the policy response? It is actually something that we are working on uh, very strongly at the IEA currently. And we are planning to release a special report on uh, recovery and stimulus uh, in mid-June, uh, mid uh, where we will really uh, understand and analyze in depth uh, what a recovery package could look like, uh, and in particular uh, with three dimensions, uh, looking at job creation, looking at stimulate, uh, putting a big stimulus for the economy, and third, creating a more resilient and cleaner energy future. So we're all looking forward. Obviously, this is the other major piece of uh, work that you're going to be working on. It's certainly only in the first half of this year, uh, because you're not just the chief energy modeler. You're also one of the two co-lead authors of the World Energy Outlook. That comes out in November, but November is a lifetime away from now. Um, in the meantime, you did produce uh, this report, the Global Energy Review, which uh, whose findings we were just discussing. And in fact, that is based on 100 days of actual real data, um, some of which we are still updating and you're still seeing some evidence of that. Um, I have a final question uh, to you because you have, you're an energy modeler and this crisis in a way, you know, happening for all the wrong reasons and terrible as they may be, gives you a bit of a real life kind of worst case extreme scenario. And I was wondering if you'd ever expect to see something like this, but also what are the lessons or the surprises you drew from that? Because I guess you can't really plug something or you could probably plug something like this in a model, but this is really happening in real time at a global scale. So what, what jumps out at you? What actually may have surprised you and what's going on? I think what's surprising is uh, is nearly everything of the, of what's unfolding is uh, 
uh, is surprising. And this is certainly uh, one of the textbook uh, uh, black swans uh, that one learns when uh, does uh, energy modeling. So uh, not something that we would normally uh, well analyze in, 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 in normal equilibrium uh, circumstances. Um, personally, what I would, uh, uh, what I am finding very interesting is uh, um, the behavioral changes that uh, uh, many of us are living by the day now, and I'd be very interesting to see and analyze going forward how much of these uh, behavioral changes may actually remain with us in the, in the years to come, and how those may actually change not only energy use but. Uh, but the environmental consequences is so uh, these among many other things. But the behavioral part is uh, is a huge experiment that we are all living in, uh, and and we'll we will draw many lessons from this. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Laura. This has been a fascinating conversation, and I think we will draw many lessons from this. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and for sharing your great insights into the impact of the coronavirus pandemic, not only on the different fuels that we have spoken about, but also the impact on CO2 emissions and the forecast for the rest of 2020. Thank you very much, Laura. Thank you, Jad, and thank you, Tanya. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you very much for joining us for the first episode of the podcast. Uh, we look forward to bringing you the next installment. This podcast was brought to you by the International Energy Agency. To read more about our work, please visit iea.org.